earlier, tonight we're going to start a new study in the, the book of 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> and the message tonight will be an introduction to this wonderful epistle. Let's read the first five verses of chapter 1 where we see Paul's salutation to the born-again, blood-washed saints at Thessalonica in verses 1 to 2. But let's read the context of those two verses by reading the first five verses. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, and to the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of man we were among you for your sake. Here is some historical background for the city of Thessalonica. It was a very large and populous city, very flourishing city during the time that Paul wrote this epistle. It was located at the intersection of two major Roman roads, one leading from Italy eastward called the Ignatia Way, and the other from Danube to the Aegean Sea, so it was, it was set in the middle of two very, very important Roman roads. And it was, it was near the Aegean Sea, right on, right on the Aegean Sea. And Thessalonica's location and use as a port made it a very prominent city. There was a lot of trade that came through there, a lot of trade. So it was very prominent. In 168 BC, it became the capital of the second district of Macedonia, and later it was made the capital and major part of the Roman province of Macedonia. So when the Greeks, the Greeks actually made it a prominent, used it as a prominent city, becoming the second district of Macedonia. And later the Romans made one in, in uh, 146 BC. The, the Greeks made it a very prominent city in 168 BC. And then the Romans made it a very prominent city, a major port of the whole Roman province of Macedonia in 146 BC. And in 42 B.C., after the battle at Philippi, Thessalonica was made a free city. It was made a free city. And today it is the site of the modern city of Thessaloniki, it's called. Thessaloniki. And it's the second most important city in Greece. And it's home currently to over a million inhabitants right now. And I found out, too, that there's not much of the old ruins left because being the way people are, they built on top of the old ruins, just like they did in Jerusalem. So there's not been a lot excavated in the, in the city itself. The Apostle Paul came to this city after he had been at Philippi, and he stayed about, about three weeks at this, at this city. And he preached every Sabbath day, and his ministry was blessed. His ministry was blessed to the conversion of some Jews and a multitude of Greeks. 
And we know that's all by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So, so God mightily used him in the city of Thessalonica. He sent him there, didn't he? He sent him there because there was a lot of sheep there. And he preached the gospel, and it, and, and it, it was used. The, the words preached were taken by the Holy Spirit of God and used to convert a multitude. Again, a multitude of devout Greeks as well. And many of the cheap women of the palace. And all this laid the foundation for this church. It laid the foundation for this church. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We'll read of it here. <coughs> we'll see this in the scriptures in verses 1 to 10 of Acts 17. Acts 17, verses 1 to 10. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And look what it says. We know Paul, whenever he went into a city, he went right to the synagogues, didn't he? And he preached the gospel as as he was given utterance. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. And three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So three weeks. Three weeks he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. He's proclaiming him as the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. And notice Paul didn't mess around. He preached Christ and him crucified. He says Christ must needs have suffered and risen again. So he preaches his death. He preaches his resurrection. And he preaches that he's the Messiah. That he's the Messiah. And some of them believed. Look at that. There's a miracle of grace. God granted some of them faith to believe. And some believed. And consorted with Paul and Silas. Of the devout Greeks, how many? A great multitude. A great multitude of Gentiles, just like you and I of Gentiles, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy. Oh, they were mad. They were upset at the preaching of the gospel of Christ. You know, because it probably affected their pocketbooks. And they were moved with envy. They probably thought, this guy's going to take all our following away. Well, gospel preachers don't have a following. We just preach Christ. We just preach Christ to whomever shows up. We preach Christ and him crucified. Look at this. They were filled with with envy. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. So they got some, some ruffians, some people they probably wouldn't have even been with. Some, some guys that could come and rough up the apostles. And maybe, maybe threaten them. But little do they know that if God be for us, who can be against us? They don't know that. If God be for us, who can be against us? And look at this. Certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company. So there was a large group of them. And set all the city on an uproar. Oh, they got everyone stirred up. And assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down 
are come hither also. Also, so news had spread. From that statement, news had spread about Paul preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, they, they, they call us the people who turn the world upside down. All Paul did was preach Christ. Oh, but it turned, it, it turned the world upside down for these unsaved people, didn't it? Now, the, the, the people who God saved are rejoicing. <laughs> but these other folks, though, they're, they're, they're pretty upset, aren't they? And they say, these are they, or these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Whom Jason hath received. And these do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, there's another king, one Jesus. Also now they're, they're hitting the political aspects of the Roman society because Caesar was not only king over the Romans, he was worshipped as a god. And so now they're, they're bringing the fact that Paul's preaching another king, but little do they know Paul's preaching the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Paul's preaching the one who has control over all the kings that have ever lived. They're like, they're, they're like putty in his hand. Look at this. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So, so Paul, the, the brethren send, send uh, Paul and Silas away by night, and they come to Berea, and what's Paul do? He goes right to the synagogue. He's not discouraged at all, is he? I gotta, I'm going to go preach Christ here. Right to the synagogue, beloved. He's called to preach and proclaim the gospel. And that's what he's going to do. Now look at verses 13 and 15. We see, we see that the Jews of Thessalonica followed them to Berea and stirred up the people there. <clears throat> but when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. They left Thessalonica to go all the way to Berea to stir up the folks there just because Paul's preaching the gospel. Oh my. Oh my. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come, with, come to him with all speed, they departed. They did this all because Paul preached the gospel. They, they pursued him to Berea, all because Paul preached the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace. That's how much the Jews hated him. That's how much they hated the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's nothing new under the sun. When men really hear about the absolute sovereignty of God, they have one or two reactions, don't they, when they really hear it. They either turn to Christ by the gift of God, which is faith, or, man, they, they just they get madder than a wet hornet. They get angry. They get angry. They get angry. And Paul preached. What did Paul preach? He preached the sinner's only hope, whether you're Jew or Gentile, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He preached the perfect sin-atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He held nothing back. He held nothing back. He preached that the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh, when he, when he came to this world, he accomplished, he accomplished salvation for his people. He obtained eternal redemption on the cross for his people. That's what he preached. And he preached that the Lord is risen again for our justification. And that right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And these people got upset and angry. Upset and angry. They pursued Paul all the way from Thessalonica to Berea. So we see then that Silas and Timotheus sent Paul, so it seemed by sea into Athens. But he was led by the brethren to Athens. Look at this. And immediately the brethren sent Paul away. Look at verse 14 of 17. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul to go to, to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there. So they, they made it look like they were sending Paul to Athens by the sea, but they actually led him away, beloved, to Athens. Because this mob wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. So Silas and Timotheus sent Paul so it seemed by the sea unto Athens, but he was led by the brethren to Athens. Look at verse 15. And they, con- and they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and having received a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. So Paul sent them back with a message to Silas and Timothy to come back as soon as you can. Come and see me in Athens as soon as you can. Now remember, all this is falling out. Just like in the life of Joseph, all this is falling out according to the sovereign will and decree of God. All of it. All of it. It's all falling out according to his plan and purpose. And he sends his servants where he wills. He sends his servants, he sends his preachers to where he wants them to be. And they are sent to preach and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they're sent there for. To preach Christ and him crucified. To preach gospel of God's free grace in Christ. And then we see, we see as a result, if you read further down in 17, you'll see as a result of God sovereignly sending, sending Paul to Athens, he preaches the famous Mars Hill discourse about the unknown God. You'll see that if you read further down in Acts 17. My, oh, my. So we see God's sovereign hand. He had him go to Thessalonica. He had him go to Berea. And he has him go to Athens. And he preaches at Mars Hills. My, oh, my. And all this, again, is falling out according to the purpose and will of our sovereign God. All according to his, to his will. So we clearly see how God moves his preachers from one place to another. All according to his sovereign will. All according to his sovereign will. And they are sent again to proclaim the gospel of God's free grace. That's what they're sent to do. And Timothy, we know, was eventually, eventually went to see Paul. But he was sent to Thessalonica too to, to um, preach to the, the, the new church that had started there as a result of Paul preaching. He was sent there to preach the gospel 
of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. And to proclaim Christ alone to them. And Timothy returned to Paul, who was at Corinth, with good news. With good news. Good news of the faith of the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians. And good news of their love for Christ. And good news of their love for the gospel. And good news of their love for the brethren. And this letter is a result of that. Of him hearing that news. Of him hearing that news. Now the design of this epistle is to encourage the saints at Thessalonica. They're under afflictions and sufferings for what they believe. It's to exhort them to stand fast in the Lord, to abide by his truths and ordinances, and to live a holy life in conversation towards God and towards one another. And Paul instructs them concerning the resurrection of the dead. He concerns them concerning the second coming of Christ, doctrines which are very important to the Lord's people and bring great comfort to the Lord's people, to the saints, as we go through sufferings and as we see our brothers and sisters in Christ persecuted for what they believe, sometimes even unto death, sometimes even unto death for their faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what mercy God's people have received, what mercy we've received in Christ. The born-again saints of God receive in Christ a full pardon of all their sins. And take note, we'll see tonight, that this is true of all of God's saints. This is true of all of God's saints. We will see, as Paul writes to this very young church, that he does not shy away from teaching strong doctrine either. I remember somebody told Spurgeon, they said, well, you shouldn't preach election to a young church. Well, Paul preached it, we're going to see, not tonight, but as we study this, this uh, next week, actually, we'll see it. Paul tells them about their election of God. And this is a, maybe a three or four week old church. And me and the church being ecclesia. So he didn't refrain from preaching doctrine, strong doctrine to them. We should always proclaim the truth of God's word. Always. So there's great doctrines which are through this, through this book. And, and they bring great comfort to the saints of God. Great comfort. And again, Paul doesn't shy away from giving, giving, giving the saints strong meat. He brings forth the election of God and how the gospel of God came to them in power. Not in word only, but in power of the Holy Spirit of God and in much assurance. So he doesn't even shy away from talking to young believers about the assurance that they have in Christ. Because that's, that's foundational, isn't it? And even we who are, have grown in the Lord through the years, I'll tell you what, I still like to hear more and more how I'm secure in Christ because I know how sinful I am. And I love to hear that I'm secure in Him. That it's all about what He's done. Is it so for you? I, I hope it is, because it's a, it's a great comfort. It's a great comfort for God's people. Oh my. And He also brings forth, we'll see as we study through this book in later chapters, the coming of the Lord, called the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord. And He also bring forth the resurrection of some to eternal 
joy and some to eternal damnation. Some to eternal joy and some to eternal damnation. And again, I want to bring this, this point forth as we study this wonderful book. You'll hear me repeat it as we study this book. That even though this book was written to the saints at Thessalonica in 51 AD, it applies to all of God's children all through the ages. It does. All of God's children through every generation. We see in verse 1 and 2 that Paul's salutation to this church is, is much the same as in his other epistles, except that he does not identify himself as a servant of Christ, or as a prisoner of Christ, or even as an apostle. Let's look at verse 1. Paul and Savanius and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that Paul groups himself in with Savanius and with Timothy in his greetings. Even though he is the inspired author of this epistle, even though he is, he is an apostle, he, he groups himself in with his two brothers, his fellow preachers. And remember, this was a young church. This was a very young church. And, and think of this too. No one had rose up, as we've seen in other assemblies through studying the word, where Paul's apostleship was questioned. That hadn't happened here. That hadn't happened here. Uh, he, he was now well known to the Thessalonians, uh, having by God's sovereign will and purpose established the church there. And he sent Timothy there to preach. He sent Timothy there to preach, which we know was God's will. We also see here in this greeting, Paul's humility. Paul's humility. It's brought forth. He identifies himself with his fellow laborers in preaching the gospel. He just groups himself in with them. This is possibly the greatest preacher that ever lived. And he's just grouping himself in with his two brethren who preach the gospel as well. See, what, what, what Brother uh, Scott Richardson said is true, right? The ground of the foot of the cross is level. There's no little bumps for preachers. There's no little bumps for anybody else. It's all level, beloved. It's all level. We're all saved by grace. Now, some, like myself, are called to preach the gospel. It is a great honor. It's a great honor. But you see, here, Paul just says, I'm a fellow laborer with my brothers in Christ. I'm a fellow laborer. I'm a fellow laborer with you all. I'm called to preach the gospel again. It's, 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 it's an honor I can't even give words to. But we're all saved by the same grace. We're all regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. We all have the same Savior. We all have the same Father, we who are in Christ. It's absolutely wonderful. So, so Paul just groups himself in with these two faithful ministers of the gospel. And he knows that it's only by the grace of God that they are what they are. He knows that. He knows that. And Paul mentions no titles before his name, or even before the names of Silas and Timothy. He doesn't put any titles on them either. 
These are all three men, faithful ministers of the gospel of God's amazing grace. And he did not put titles upon his treasured friends who were his co-workers in the ministry. He didn't call them Dr. So-and-so. He didn't call them Reverend So-and-so or Bishop So-and-so. No, they're all servants of the most high God. And, and, and it's considered to be the greatest honor that could be bestowed upon a sinner saved by the grace of God to be a minister of his gospel. And every, every preacher feels that way. Every true preacher sent from God, we feel that way. It's the greatest honor that can be bestowed upon us in our life. But they also know that all the glory goes to Christ. They also know that all the glory goes to Christ, their Lord. Not to them. They're not seeking the praises of man. They're not seeking, they're not in the ministry for a monetary gain. No, beloved. They were seeking the Lord's sheep. They were seeking the Lord's sheep. They were on the trail of God's sheep. And they were preaching the gospel for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the good of his people. And we clearly see who Paul's writing to again as he pens by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God in verse 1 that he's writing to the people of God called the church. Now the Greek word for church there is ekklesia, which again is a called out assembly. It's the people, not the building. It's the people. So Paul and Silvanus and Timothy's unto the ecclesia, the called out assembly of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that this epistle is addressed to God's people in Thessalonica. It's addressed to God's people in Thessalonica, to the church of the Thessalonians. And again, this is not the building. This is the people. We have to keep saying that because folks, they equate church as being going to church in the building. No, church is the people. <laughs> the ecclesia is the people. It's a building we meet in. We're so thankful for our building. We are, it's wonderful, but the church is, is God's people, the ecclesia, the ones who are called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, all under the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, of salvation in Christ plus nothing in us. And some of these members were Jews, and a large number were Gentiles. Men and women from all walks of life. From all walks of life. Some were wealthy, but most were very poor. Most were very poor. Some were well-educated, but many were illiterate. Some had honorable worldly positions, and others were not even known by those who were recognized as the elite. They just didn't even exist to them. Some were very moral in their unregenerate state, and others had no morals at all. Some lived as harlots and thieves and robbers. We know that because Paul writes and says, and such were some of ye. But now you're washed. He wrote that in Colossians. 
Now you're washed. Now you're born again. Now you're saved. One thing is true of all these saints. One thing is true of all these saints and the saints of all the ages. One thing is true. One thing is true. They all came the same way. They all came through the same door. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. They all came through the same door. And they all have the same great Redeemer. They all have the same mighty Savior. And His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is true of all the saints of all the ages. All the saints who Paul is writing to have, have by faith come to Christ. And we know that's God-given faith. They've come to Christ. They were made willing in the day of God's power and they, they fled to Christ. They confessed that they were sinners in need of God's sovereign mercy. All of them came by the sovereign, irresistible, drawing power of God the Holy Spirit. All of them. All of them came confessing that they had nothing to glory in except the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them gloried in, in Christ's perfect work of redemption that he accomplished by himself for them. And they esteemed others better than themselves. They embraced one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Now I ask you, is this not true of every born-again, blood-washed saint in all the ages? Is this not true of the saints of God through generation and generation and generation? We all feel the same way. All of us. It doesn't matter who we are or where we are or what we are. None of us, none of us have anything that would merit salvation in Christ. None of us. And we know we have nothing to offer God to make us accepted in his presence. Nothing of ours. We all know that. And they knew that too. They knew that too. But thanks be to God for the fact that it is Christ who has made us to differ. And just as we know that, the Thessalonian saints knew that. They knew that truth too. And everything we have comes from our great God. And knowing that, why would we glory as if we had not received it? And all of God's saints, beloved, all of God's saints come to Christ the same way. The saints, saints at Thessalonica came by the sovereign, irresistible, drawing power of God the Holy Spirit under the preaching of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. By God's almighty power, the gospel comes to us not in word only, but in power. Just like it did for them. And that's how it comes to every one of God's sheep. And even after we're saved, it still comes to us that way, doesn't it? As we're being taught by God. As we're growing in the grace and knowledge and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are born again, beloved, by the almighty power of God, the Holy Spirit. By God-given faith, we come to Christ. 
By God-given faith, we flee to Christ. We embrace him as our creator. We embrace him as our redeemer. We embrace him as our savior, beloved. We embrace he who became a man so that by his perfect obedience to the will of the Father, he could establish a perfect righteousness for us. And we embrace him, don't we? By faith, we, we embrace our Savior. And we, we embrace him as our only salvation, who satisfied the holy justice of God in our place by the laying down of his life. The sinless one died for sinners. And we embrace him as Savior, who obtained eternal redemption for us. We embrace him as our risen, exalted king, who is not only our sovereign Lord, but he is sovereign over all. He is king of kings, and he is Lord of lords. And we bow our knee to that by faith, don't we? Acknowledging that truth. Acknowledging that truth. And we see in our text that Paul brings forth that God's church, his ecclesia, his born-again, blood-washed people, it says, is in God the Father. Look at, let's read the verse 1 again. Paul and, and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what does this mean, that all of God's saints, his chosen blood-bought people, are in God the Father, and we see also in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, beloved of God, we were in the Father's eternal purpose. We were in the Father's eternal purpose in the salvation of his elect. We were in the Father's promise of a particular people who were given to Christ, his, his darling son. We were, in, we were in the Father's eternal love when he penned our names in the Lamb's book. We were in the Father's covenant plan when he predestinated us into the adoption of children in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We were in the Father's perpetual trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ to meet all the conditions, all the conditions of the eternal covenant of grace when he sent his Son to this earth to do his will. And we were in the Father's full of Full pardon of sin granted to all those who were redeemed by the blood of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, who, who shed his blood for the, 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 the everlasting covenant. And we know he's a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So what comfort God's people can glean here. We were in the Father's will. We were in the Father's will when he, by his sovereign power, begat us with the word of truth. Oh, what comfort for God's people. We see the Father's comforting concern for his born-again people. What comfort for the heirs of promise. That's who we are. The heirs of promise. Of the immutability of his counsel. And when he gives us an understanding that he cannot lie, and that he cannot break his promise to his son, which is his promise to us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, what great comfort we can glean in that. What great comfort. 
And what strong comfort this is for the sinner who's fled to Christ. Who's our refuge, our only hope. We have no hope outside of Christ. And it is he who has entered into heaven itself there to appear in the presence of God for us. And our text also says that the church of God is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We were crucified with Christ, Paul says. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but the life that I live, I I live by by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. We were crucified with Christ when his blood was shed for our sins. And, and, And Beloved, he endured the wrath of God for his promised children. He satisfied the holy justice of God for us. We were in Christ when he was buried and when he rose again for our justification. Leaving all our sins in the sea of God's forgetfulness. Washed clean in his precious blood. Never to be remembered again. My, when he ascended into heaven, we were in Christ. You know, the scripture says we're already seated in the heavenlies heavenlies with Christ. (laughs) Some people can say, how's that possible? Well, he knows the end from the beginning. Oh, my. Oh, my. Hmm. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high where he will where he will allow absolutely nothing to separate us from him. Now think of that. He will allow absolutely nothing in this world to separate we horrors people from him. Remember he says, I will no wise cast out my people. Now that's comfort. That is great comfort for God's people. And never forget that our God loves his chosen people with an eternal, everlasting love. It's not like love on this earth. It's an eternal love. It's an everlasting love. You look at the last part of verse 1. It says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here the correct order is grace always precedes peace. Grace always precedes peace. Without the grace of God, there's no peace with God. If he does not bestow his sovereign grace on on we hell-deserving sinners, then there will not be, nay, there cannot be any true peace from God in our souls or in our innermost being. We who are the people of God know and we have experienced that God's grace is sovereign grace, haven't we? We've experienced that. We've experienced that. And if it's not sovereign grace, it's not God's grace. That's just true. And God will not allow not even one little stitch of man's works to be sewn into the perfect robe of Christ's righteousness. Not even a stitch. Romans chapter 11. Turn if you would there. Romans, that's the only place we're turning in 
we'll come back here to 1 Thessalonians. Romans. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Romans chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. Not a stitch of man's righteousness will be in that perfect robe of, of, uh, of Christ. Look at verses 5 and 6. Even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Grace, God's unmerited favor. And if by grace, then it is no more of what? Works. No more works. One's either saved by grace or they're not saved at all. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2. We'll read this and then we'll close. Paul and Sabanius and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Paul brings forth that the Thessalonian saints were in God the Father and in Christ Jesus the Lord. And we see here that he desires that God's grace and peace would be upon them. And he assures them of his prayers for, for them and his thankfulness for them. We see that in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Beloved, salvation is by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God through the perfect, finished, redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any effort, anything on man's part, absolutely destroys the meaning of the word grace. Destroys it. And Jesus Christ is every believer's peace, isn't he? We don't have peace outside of Christ. I, I got a text from a friend of mine, a, a dear brother in Colorado, Jacob. And he was telling me about a young man <clears throat> from Germany that's here, and he's freaking out about what's going on in America. Now, we should be concerned about what goes on, but we know who's in control, don't we? And, and um, I told Jake, I said, there's a case of a natural man with no hope. With no hope in God. We have a sovereign God. He is in full control. And all things are happening and all things are working out according to his determinate counsel. And we believe that as grace folks. We believe that. And we, we, we rest in that, don't we? Otherwise we'd be going crazy. Right? But we rest in it. Lord's in full control. I can trust him. Even if I get anxious about what's going on, I can trust him. He's in control. He's not only in control of my life, but he's running the whole thing. My, what a great God we have. And that's our Savior, beloved. That's our Lord. And he's our peace. And he's the only one who we have peace with God through, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one we can have peace with God is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So to God be the glory, beloved. Great things he hath done. Great things he hath done for his people. Great things he hath done.
pardon of all our sins, and then to spend eternity in glory with him. Heaven will only be heaven because the Lord Jesus Christ is there. That's right. Because he's there. Glory to his name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us the privilege of gathering together. Oh, Lord, may we never take it for granted. What an honor and a privilege it is that we can come and worship in thy name and and look into the scriptures and rejoice at the wondrous things that you have done, O Lord, that you planned and purposed and executed. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, we who are your people, that your, your word, your precious gospel, didn't just come to us in word, O Lord, but it came in power, in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And we praise your mighty name, O Lord, for what you have done the fact that it did come to us in power, knowing that it is all from thy sovereign hand. Glory to you, O Lord. May we worship you while we're here on earth. We know one day when we depart from this world, this body of death, O Lord, we will worship you forever with all the fellow blood-bought saints. Glory to your name. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's...